When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. She said, I've always promised myself a Ferrari. I think this was up at about 170,000. And she said, what will you knock off that? And I told her the wing mirror. How the hell did you end up with your own TV show, Dean? That's an interesting question, actually. A lot of people come in with rose-tinted glasses and just see the glitz of all the fabulous cars. There's a lot of pressures behind the scenes. It isn't as easy as you think. The hours are ridiculous. So this is really a story of a progression. I remember taking myself off one day, almost in tears actually at one point, because I felt I'm not progressing, I'm not doing what I want to do. What would you say has been one of the hardest things in the last few years? So I will, I will tell you this, I haven't said it to anybody I suppose before, but it's... Dean, usually I am joined by an automotive YouTuber, especially recently. That seems to be my last few episodes. But today, I actually have a TV star sat opposite me. <laughs> I don't after know about that. <laughs> recently completing a series called Supercar Showroom yes. on Quest. But you're not only a TV star, you're also an inspiring entrepreneur, especially to myself, who has a love for motor vehicles. But I thought we'd start by asking, like we do all our guests, in your own words, who are you and what do you do? Well, I suppose my name, well, my name's Dean Bartle, of course it is. And uh, yeah, I own uh, a company called DMV Collection. So where we sell obviously lots of nice uh, sports and supercars. And one of the reasons I really wanted to sit down with you today is also because we try and get guests that are that our listeners will be interested in. And recently we've had so many success stories asked for, for guys that have been working in supercar dealerships or working in car dealerships and taking the step to go out on their own. And I think that journey that you've been on is pretty much a perfect story for those guys to listen to today. Um, And it's really nice because I've followed you now for over eight years. I think we said when we were in the showroom a minute ago that my first memory of yourself was seeing this tall lad that I'd recognised from social media (laughs) squeezing out of the smallest seat in a green Aventador (laughs) on a supercar driver uh, day at RAF Collins with the red arrows uh, way before I even had a driver's licence. So it's nice because I've been able to follow your journey for so many years. But I think it'd be better to actually start way further back than that. And talk about what life was like as a child. What was your earliest memory of a car? So I think for me, cars have always been in my life, I think. Um, and it really obviously started with my dad. So my dad was a police officer and uh, he got to drive fast cars because he was in traffic. Um, however, the cars we had growing up weren't particularly fast. They weren't the best cars, if I'm honest with you. Um, but when he used to come home in a police car... I used to think, wow, this is just amazing, you know, to see uh, these fabulous cars. Because back then, of course, during the police, there were things like Escort Cosworths that were about. And you don't really have that so much these days. So back then, police cars were fast cars. Do you remember Escort Cosworths? So I remember things like Escort Cosworths and things like that. So really, I think, um, and also I think I used to um, travel with my dad on Sticker Lane in Bradford, which was known 
back then it's JCT 600. They're a big company. Most people know them. They have a lot of supercars. And uh, I'd ask my dad sometimes to pull over just so I could literally go put my hands on the window of the Aston Martin dealership and Ferrari and just look and drool as a kid, you know, thinking this is just an amazing car. So that's probably a really early memory I have of uh, sports cars. Yeah. And what would you have been looking at through those windows? What were some of those cars that you lusted over back when you were a kid? I'd be showing me age then, wouldn't I, really? Yeah. I suppose then. But that's a were. clever way of asking it. <laughs> it is, I suppose. What we're talking about the 80s when I grew up as a kid. So, you know, 1980s. But they were cool because they were like, uh, well, you've got one. Effectively, you're like, you're yeah, that style of 911, turbo. 930 turbos. You know, that was the uh, the car to have back then, you know. So seeing the shape on those cars were just amazing. And then obviously, as you were getting older, did you get into watching things like Top Gear or programs that were beginning to kick off back in the 90s? No, not really. No, I didn't really watch things like that. I was just naturally interested in cars as a general because I used to clean them. So when I was like 15, 16, I used to go with a friend of mine who had a car. So I used to go around cleaning cars. So that's, that's why it all started for me. So I was just valeting cars, yeah. So what were your interests in terms of education? Were you just like, well, I've got this passion for cars, that's the route I want to go down, or were you completely different back when you were younger? Yeah, I think like a lot of young kids today, you don't really know what you're going to aspire to do as a career. Um, but for me, uh, back then, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I think academically, I wasn't the best at school. I didn't do particularly well in GCSEs, etc., um, but if there's one thing I was good at was was talking to people and and just being my friendly northern self, I guess you know, and uh, and that obviously works in every sort of career path I took. I think you know words from my parents and things. You know, it costs nothing to be nice, and just adapt them great foundations and and build on that really. So, so what job did that lead into then? What was your first uh, job coming out of school? Or well, I worked at Morrison's. And uh, that was an interesting one. In fact, I remember the interview I had at the time because they asked me a question and said, why would you like to work at Morrison's? And I responded with, because there's more reasons to work at Morrison's. <laughs> Which was just quite amusing. But that's just typical me. I was just always a bit of a goon, having a bit of a laugh and a joke. And I ended up working at Morrison's. And uh, so that that's what started there. But the because I was valeting cars as well at the same time on weekends to earn some extra money, I ended up being working at Citroen. So I was doing like little bits of jobs there. So effectively my first car was like a Citroen AX that I sold, you know, quite an awful thing, isn't it really, I suppose, today. But to some, it was great back then. So, so that was what it. was that like getting your license after loving cars when you were younger, getting out on the road and driving and then just starting off at least somewhere where you were around cars and balancing them, et cetera? Yeah, it was, it was exciting for me because I think as soon as I started earning some money, I ended up financing a car and it was a Citroen Saxo. So, of course, they did free insurance then, which was really appealing to me at that age. So I ended up buying a little Citroen Saxo one litre. And because I loved it so much, I got all my mates to buy one. So this is where the sales pattern almost come in because I'm saying, I've got this for X amount a month. It's amazing. I've got a spoiler included. I did a deal and got front fog lights on it. And uh, and I went around all my friends and I must have sold six cars within the space of a few weeks. And I was bringing them down to the Citroen garage. And they were buying them and buying them. And I thought, I love this. This is just great. So at that age, did you have any business mind to actually think, well, I could get a bit of commission here for putting these people through? Or was no, it, did not, it trigger anything no, like that? No, not really. It was just my love for, for the cars. And we all used to drive around in our little matching Citroen Saxos. And uh, yeah, so that, that was really kind of how it started, I suppose. And then uh, I was uh, moved across to Volkswagen. So this is really a story of a progression, really. Yeah. In, in starting valeting cars in yeah. Citroen realising you're also a bit subconsciously that you're actually quite good at selling things yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, were you the kid at school that had the backpack selling sweets at all? <laughs> trying try, try, try to wheeler and dealer around yeah. the yard? No, I think, I think for me, when I was at school, I went to a performing arts school. So I used to do a lot of shows when I was a kid. So I think being able to perform and, and do acting and things like that when I was younger, that gave me a lot of confidence. So uh, that certainly helped with uh, with dealing with customers. And I think we'll come on to that later because I had a conversation with your good friend, Mr. James Exton, last oh, night. Really? Who, who gave, me a, gave me a few little maybe unknown truths about you. Mm. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> that, James. That, that might relate to that at the start. <clears throat> but where, where was your first experience then of, of performance cars or working in that space? You mentioned you ended up at Volkswagen. What happened from there on? What did it look like? Well, Volkswagen, when I was there, I actually ended up selling a a little polo to, uh, unbeknown to me at the time, there was a chap who worked at Brooklands, which was at the time it was Lotus, Ferrari and Porsche. And that was part of JCT 600. So I managed to sell them a car and uh, he phoned me up and said, just to let you know, I'm actually the dealer principal at Brooklands. 
Um, and would I be interested in coming along to have a chat because there's an opening for Porsche? Now, young 23-year-old me was driving a Golf GTI, selling loads of cars, loving life, thinking I'm not really that bothered. But it's Porsche, so I'll go and have a chat, you know. And uh, and that's what I did. I ended up having a chat with him. He wanted me to come back for a second interview. And um, when I did do that, of course, Volkswagen didn't want me to go and uh, was trying everything to try keep me on board, which was which was great, I suppose. But uh, but when they turned around and told me, and I'll never forget this, it's too big for you. So they said, it's too big for you to go to Porsche. Well, that, that for me was like, right, well, sod you, I'm going... You know, so I ended up making that transition then to Porsche, where I was there for 14 years. So that comment didn't really affect you then, you know, only in the sense that it actually just gave you fire. You didn't let it that did. affect you. No, 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 absolutely, yeah. yeah. So you took that fire and ended up at Porsche at 23. Yes. So how long were you at Porsche? 14 years. Wow. So quite a long stint there for them which is brilliant. You know, I really enjoyed that. I think that's where I kind of uh, cut my teeth really in terms of the prestige mark. Yeah. And you've always been operating, say, in this area of the country, up in the north, understanding, learning customer bases. Do you have any customers that say, (coughs) would have been back from your Porsche days that you still know now? Oh God, yeah, absolutely. Because for me, it was all about building relationships. And uh, right from the very start, I mean, I've, I've customers now I've known over 20 years. You know, and it, it, nothing gives me more pride than looking after those same customers that you've looked after for all them years. And was there anyone you took inspiration from, like in in the workplace, or anyone that helped you along that journey? Or was it all about in that in that world, in that cutthroat dealer world, finding your own feet? It was it was quite difficult back then. I mean, a lot of people come in with rose tinted glasses and just see the glitz of all the fabulous cars. When behind the scenes, it is hard work. It's quite stressful, you know. And old school motor trade. Uh, it w- was quite hard, definitely. You had lots of targets to hit. The way they used to treat you as an individual sometimes wasn't great. Um, but as soon as I used to step out onto that showroom, for me, it was like another performance, like when I was younger. You're going out there and you're putting on a smile and you're looking after customers properly and then you go back in. Because <laughs> I, I yeah. kind of get that because you you are the, the big, smiley, happy character that comes across in front of people on yeah. camera. But I remember... I like to like pick up on things that are going on around me. And when I've been into main dealers, let's say before, you always look at the people behind the glass, yeah. not out on the showroom floor. What would you say that it that it's like working for a corporate main dealer in the last 10 years? I mean, I won't say it wasn't terrible, obviously, working for them. And I have a lot to thank for them. I think JCT as a whole were great and looked after me. I think it's just, there's a lot of pressures behind the scenes like for, for, for targets you've got to hit. It isn't as easy as you think. The hours are ridiculous. You could be at eight o'clock in the morning. You're not getting home at seven o'clock. So one of the biggest regrets I have in life is kind of really missing out on my early, my, my kids growing up, I think, because I'd literally leave in the morning when they were still in bed and I come back as they were going to bed. And I used to work, sometimes I'd do 10 days on the trot without a day off. So, you know, I literally blinked and my kids were just like teenagers. And how much of that world is more cutthroat than people expect? Like, we, we, you, you mentioned as soon as we turned up today, and we'll get onto it, that it's so nice to have an environment where you basically feel like you're working with a, a team, a family around you. Yeah. Was it like that back then? To a, to a certain degree, yes. With your sales colleagues and things like that, I think it probably was. Um, but I think after a while, I got quite institutionalized a bit. So it was, uh, it become quite tough. I, and, and I remember taking myself off one day, I think just into the uh, back coffee room there and and almost in tears actually at one point because I felt I'm not progressing, I'm not doing what I want to do and I'm just, it was just a lot of pressure and I remember feeling like that at about year 10 uh, because I wanted to be like a sales manager or a business manager. I didn't just want to be a salesman for the rest of my life and I couldn't, I kept getting knocked back for that and then I realised a little bit later on which they admitted, which was which was nice of them is they didn't want to take me off the shop floor because I was selling a lot of cars. So it was kind of selfish on their part not to let me progress my career. What do you think it is that's inside that makes you want, that makes you think like that? Because not everybody, uh, you, a lot a lot of people end up really comfortable um, and that they end up just happy and coasting, et cetera. Yeah. But w- what gives you that want to be the next, be the next? But where did you think that comes from? I'm not sure. Really. I mean, for me, I just felt, it was like an old chap who said to me at one stage, you know, nobody in life is perfect. But if you try to be perfect, you will be successful. 
And it was a really cool saying. And I just thought, he's right, you know, I'm going to try and be perfect at everything that I possibly do. And uh, and the important thing going along the line is just to be nice and be friendly. And if you know what you're selling, like I do here, it just comes across natural and easy. And, and I genuinely really, really want to look after my customers and keep hold of them. I've become friends with every single one. You know, that's the important thing, I think, in life or business. So you saying what upset you say at that Porsche dealership yeah. was just realising that there was no more progression and maybe just a little bit like, oh, have I, have I hit the end already Like uh, of this particular route? Yeah. What, where did you catch a break in your mind to, to actually understand there was a next step? I think for me, it was always a concern being a, a young dad as well and having kids, obviously. My my daughter Ellie was was born when I was 21. So I was a young dad, obviously had responsibilities. So wow. it was quite scary to think, actually, I need security. I've got a mortgage, I've got kids, you know. So... Uh, having a full-time job was important. And that's what scared me thinking I didn't leave or do anything because I need to support my family. Which so, a lot of people end up in that in that position and then use that as a mental barrier not to actually leave. Yeah. So you had to push through that and you did decide to leave. I did. And I'm going to beat you to it now. And I'm going to tell you this because I know you've spoken to James, but the reason being is because people don't know is obviously I do a lot of singing. So, and the thing, what I did was we were called Swing Thing. We're a vocal duo, me and my best friend of all, all my childhood career, been best friends for 30 odd years. We set up a company called uh, Swing Thing Vocal Duo and we sung at weddings and we did really well with it. And we had enough gigs lined up for weddings to support me enough to know I'm not going to have the same disposable income, but I'll feel happier in myself. So I was happy to take a pay cut knowing I can support my family and just give me a bit of a break. And that's what enabled me to leave Porsche. So it wasn't leaving Porsche to go somewhere else. It was leaving Porsche to sing. Well, I did. And I did exactly that. And how long was you doing that for? Probably only, not very long, I think, because I've been in the motor trader quite a long time at that point. But it was just enough for like maybe a year or so to uh, support myself. But of course, very quickly, I uh, realised how much I missed cars and motor trade and I ended up going back in, obviously. Um, but it was mainly on weekends and stuff like that, but it was cool. And you loved doing that. Yeah. The time you did. So some people, I, I've spoke to people from my world growing up was angling and fishing yeah. in the same theatre. And some of those lads mm. that are like, they work towards fi finally getting a career in, in fishing and then they yeah. hate it. Yeah, right. <laughs> They're like, they don't want to go fishing anymore. No. So it's, it's quite yeah. interesting. Some people love what they have yeah. loved doing growing up and others don't. But I think it's really important to have a hobby. If you're in quite a stressful business and in a stressful life, if you have a really good hobby that you enjoy, it can take your mind off everything. So for me, performing with my best mate, having a laugh at weddings and singing and doing all this, you just forget about everything. Yeah. And it's amazing. And it, and it actually does so much for your mental health. It's just amazing. I do hop on a drum kit from time to time. So go. I get what you mean. Because yeah, yeah, when yeah. you're using your feet and your hands or you're doing whatever, yeah. there's nothing else you can think about exactly. whatsoever. But yeah. what were you singing? So it was like Michael Bublé, big band stuff like that. <laughs> you, you, you're being quite shy. Do you reckon there's any clips on yeah. YouTube oh, anywhere? The, the, you might find one, Ben. You might find one, yeah. Oh, Mr. Axton yeah. has really opened a can. Of, you, <laughs> never, you never know. You may no. end up selling the next Turbo S to a happily married couple or a wedding car and making it a package deal. You never know. So you you never know. Do you still do it now occasionally? Not so much now, no. Sadly, uh, no, the pandemic and COVID really killed it off for us, which was a shame. So, uh, yeah, it was a shame. But uh, I think we'd probably still do the odd gig if anybody asked us. We got a lot of repeat business from that. So I reckon there could be some bookings. <laughs> you know? I think people are going to be all over this. Yeah, so I'm going to leave a link to the booking form in the description yes, of this yes. vi video, and there uh, might be a little ten percent coming this way as well. Um, <laughs> just done business in the middle of a podcast. Um, so what? What was the? What was the next step? We're kind of moving along step by step yeah. by step. So you you were uh, singing up to that point yeah. um, you'd had a break because you felt like the main dealer life was quite institutionalised was getting on top trying to understand you just felt a bit stuck where, where did the next break come in terms of thinking or understanding ah oh, I can do this or opportunity so I think I really wanted to probably get back into the line of uh, cars again really because that's really what I missed and what I enjoyed doing and uh, I visited a few dealers uh, I think once people knew I'd left, actually, it was interesting because I got a lot of phone calls. I've been at Porsche a long time. People actually offered me jobs. So they really wanted me to come and work for them. So I was quite privileged in that respect. And they were offering good jobs as well, I think. Um, and one of them, of course, which you know me from, of course, was Redline Specialist Cars. So uh, I met uh, John and obviously Rob there and we had a few interviews with them and uh, they offered me the position working for them just to help the management side of it, uh, which was fantastic. 
And did you think that that was what you were looking for because it was a step away from the institutionalised main dealer network? Yeah, 100%. I think what I saw in Redline at the time was a fabulous business that uh, really wanted, we kind of shaped it around a little bit to be a bit more mainstream like some of the main dealers with uh, software systems and things like that. And just to kind of really kind of polish it up a little bit. I think so I've had a lot of experience with Porsche, um, but obviously Rob and John managed to get a very successful business and get some incredible cars into stock. And it was quite nice to sort of put my sort of spin on it a little bit as well to help them, uh, how Porsche customer expectations are up here. Yeah, yeah. So it was really a case of managing that, I suppose, and the sales team that we had there as well. And uh, and it was lovely to see how that transitioned in, on social media at that time and how it grew and become more popular yeah, and made you were it known as popular as, as it is Dean today. Is, you were known as Dean Redline Absolutely, when I was, yeah, I was, was yeah. growing up. I yeah. just think you've done very well to... People automatically that I speak to now do know you as DMB. Yes, I know. And I think that yeah. I think you've tran- maybe take for granted how easily you've transitioned that yeah. social name. You've done really well there with, yeah. the, with the boys to do that. But yeah. just just taking it back to have a conversation when you are in an environment like the, the, those dealers, we've gone fast through this. It, it's all well and good to say I was offered a job and I had jobs coming in, so I felt secure and all the rest of it. You must have been quite good at what. Selling the car, selling, selling yeah. cars. I always think I'd be okay at selling anything. Really, I think it's um, as long as you've got a product there that somebody wants and you know, understand it, it's easy to to move it on. Really, but do you think to progress in the way that you have done through, you have to be at the top of those chart, charts in the dealership selling the most? I'm not sure. Really, I don't know. It's a tough one. Really, that I guess I think I always knew in my heart of hearts that I'm just going to make it work. You know, it's like when I'd uh, decided to to move on and set up DMB, obviously. That was a really big risk because that was in October of 19. Unbeknown to me, that we're just going to go, go into a ridiculous pandemic. So I just thought to myself at one stage, if I can't sell, you know, three or four cars a month with my experience and my social media following that we got and everything else, then there's perhaps something wrong. I don't know. Maybe people don't like me. I don't know. But, but obviously I was extremely overwhelmed with the amount of support that I got you know, from everybody, which was, which was unbelievable. And I very quickly obviously ended up with about 20 odd cars in just a few months, you know, so it was, uh, it was fantastic. But we can't gloss over that time uh, at Red Line. As I say, that was one no. of the cars I saw you pull up in. I remember being captivated as a kid. Yeah. Um, as dad drove me into a, a car meet, I was in the passenger, like, ah, green Aventador, yeah. that guy getting out all cool and all the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> it like, oh, I want one of those one day. That's amazing. <laughs> and um, what, what, how long were you there? So four years, actually, or four years at Redline. I, I did think it was slightly a longer stint, yeah, yeah, stint yeah. than that at Redline. I don't think yeah. people necessarily realise that you had a longer stint in the main dealer network That's at right. Porsche than you did Correct. Um, at Redline. Yeah. So what did that look like from the beginning versus uh, near the end? At Redline? Yeah. I think it was interesting going in, actually, just to sort of see, but it was nice to be, like I said, part of its sort of progression in terms of how it become more and more popular. I think I really enjoy putting my face behind the camera for them and uh, and really showcasing some of the awesome cars that they had in stock at the time. So, uh, you know, I'm very grateful to Redline, obviously, for that and uh, and my time. I really enjoyed there, of course. Uh, but yeah. What what in your life? So you, obviously, you took the step um, to start your own business, an entrepreneur, DMV collection. Um is, was there any other moments prior to that where you thought about starting your own business or was this uh, the the first proper go? Yeah, I think that was the first proper go, yeah, definitely. I not really thought about it before. I was quite a proud person, I think. I, I liked to, going back to the Porsche days, if they'd have gone, there's an opening for a sales manager position and then I got it, and then there's a dealer principal position and you can run a business, I'd still be there. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Because I was, I was very loyal. You know, I, I always wanted to just progress my career through the business. So in some ways, it's just the way the cards were dealt. Yeah. Is is the path that was voided. But when, when do you remember the moment, like the flip the switch moment where you're like, I'm going to do this myself. Oh, I, want, I want my own business. I think so. I think I just managed to have a bit of a break. I was on holiday with my family. I think that's what it was. You know, it gives you time to sort of reflect because if you're too busy at work all the time, you just just too blinkered and focused on what you're doing. And before you know it, you know, months turn into years and it's just like this just goes so quickly. So having a bit of a break and having a discussion with your wife and stuff on holiday and chilling out about assessing your life, where do you want to be in the next five years? It was kind of a question like that from somebody. And actually it was a holiday maker. Just saying, you know, well, it's, tell it's, us, tell just, us just, well, just chatting to him at the bar, you know, just like he was older than I was. He's retired now, but he always asked about goals and things in life. And, and I was explaining what I was doing and he, you know, it's almost like, where do you, where, where do you see yourself in five years? Have you not thought about doing things on your own? You know, which was very interesting actually. And it kind of gave me time to sort of reflect a little bit and wondered, could I potentially do this? So did that trigger, um, emotions of fear and taking that risk and being a little bit anxious, et cetera, or were you just like buzzed up, ready to go when you got back off that plane? No, not really. I think um, I, I knew in my heart of hearts at the point when I'd gone back that it was time to do something. And I just knew that I had to go and do my own thing. And it wasn't actually to do retail. It was more like I could just be involved with trade stuff, you know, like trading cars to different people who I know and just make a living doing things like that. But obviously very quickly, I think you realise people like to buy from people. So actually somebody said to me, my very first customer said, I want a Carrera to GTS in Carmine red convertible. And, they, and they, can you find one? And I did quite quickly. So I sourced his car. He said, I'm happy to pay for it, Dean up front. Cause he knew I'd just set up on my own and, and you've got to make a profit. So it's fine. I'm happy to buy it at this. And, uh, and I literally, that was my very, very first car that I sold. So, uh, it was, it was I was buzzing, you know, it was great. So we've got on to get into DMB, the founding of DMB collection and your first sale, a Carmine Red uh, Porsche 911 GTS yeah. convertible. That's it. Well that, done. That's it. I'm sorry. <laughs> we just had a break for anyone that's wondering what's going on there. So I'm just trying to re, yeah. re get back in my mind. But so it sounds like that seemed fairly straightforward, but was the first three months of the business fairly straightforward? Tell us about well, how suppose, you started and how you got going. Yeah, I think I remember... Um, being quite nervous and excited, like the first time I went, you know, working on your own, of course. Um, and what I was sort of overwhelmed with was the amount of support. So I set up DMB collection, I set the website up, I set the Instagram up, of course. And, um, it were people like, obviously, you know, my good friends now, as you know, like TG and J and Archie and all the boys on YouTube, of course, give me a lot of support in terms of social scene, follow Dean's new business and venture. But then I were getting people like Supercar Blondie and Shmi and people like that actually putting it on the stories. You know, which is which was brilliant. You know, it was absolutely amazing, really, to see that they were uh, giving you the support to build. And of course, the following on the DMB collection was just going like this. Yeah, well, I, I didn't actually check that page before we yeah, started. Yeah. I just tried to check yours. What, what are you guys on now, roughly? Well, I mean, the business side is probably on about thirty thousand or something like that. But to, to get that organically, yeah, from. You know, in, in a short space of time, because I also understand that people on social media, why I have a higher following than than the business is because people like to watch people, don't they? You know, which I get it. And, and I've, I think it's amazing. You know, I just love it. And anybody I like to think who knows me and has met, met me, I'm exactly the same. You know, I don't portray to be anybody else. Back in the red line days, my yeah. did you sell a car to Shmi? Did you do a blue? No, I didn't sell a car. He came in. And he we came did, in. We, I remember when I was younger we watching him. That's right. Yeah. So I was on his video when but he came you, in to see you us. You yeah. had sold cars to Archie and oh, yes. Tom and James. Yes. Yeah, and then, yeah, of course. Then, then they followed you to DMB collection. Yeah. But what was that? Obviously, okay, overwhelming support. Um, sold a vehicle. Yeah. What was though 
some other bits that goes on in the first that first three months of doing your I own think, thing? Or um, some of the adjustments? I think it's one of the biggest things was was finding somewhere to start. Obviously, it was just a, it was next to a car storage facility, so I was very grateful to them to be able to give me a space to start from as a business, of course, um, and. I needed somewhere to put these cars because I had more and more people ringing me saying, I've got this car, Dean, I want to move on and sell. Would you be able to help me move this on? So, um, you know, very quickly I got circa about 20 cars or so. Um, and I obviously we got hit with the pandemic, of course. And I'm like, oh, what do you do? I mean, I've just left full-time employment. I've got a mortgage. I've got family to support. And, um, and it's just lockdown. So it was just me on my own going up every day, buying, washing cars, doing the invoicing, keeping my social media up, try to keep a smile on my face whilst I'm going through this to let people know, do you know what? People are still selling and buying cars. So even though it got very quiet, uh, I did manage to sell a few cars through that time, which was enabling me to, uh, you know, what, what keep was, afloat really. What was that like then really? You said you were excited and you were great to get going. You started at the end of 19. So mm. recession hits. What the hell are you thinking initially? I know. Well, I was concerned because A, I don't have any things like loans or anything like that. It was just purely me. I just start from scratch and it was a, it was obviously a concern. Um, the profit I'd made in the last few months could maybe only support me for another month. If I had even said, if, if it had carried on the way it did, I would have just folded. I would have had to just find something. So it was, it's funny how things happen for a reason. So uh, one of the cars I had was a Lamborghini. And I think to a certain degree, for some people who are very affluent, they're pretty recession proof and they still want to buy nice cars. So, and then there's those customers who said, Dean, I need to reduce my car because I don't know what's going to happen at the moment. I need to liquidate that asset. So I, I need to get it gone. Yeah. So, so then I was able to sell it cheaper and keep things moving for them. So I'm helping them, but equally so, so people are wanting deals. As, as so, a business, you were literally on the breadline through the pandemic. 100%. Like, like I need that sale. I need that yeah, sale. Absolutely. Where, where suddenly you you jump and you've got, I haven't God knows how many cars in the showroom, yeah. 30, 40 now. Back, back just a short while ago, it was every yeah. single sale was really needed it to was, actually it was get crucial, to where you are but today. You don't want to come across sort of desperate selling cars, of course. You know, so I was still acting the same way I did. But but behind it all, I was just thinking, please buy this car. You know, because I just need to, I was only working for a small margin. I just need to try and get something in, obviously, to support everything. So, And what was that like holistically doing everything? As you said, 13, yeah. 14 years in a corporate de main main dealer. Yeah. Um, then at Redline that had a pretty established team. Yeah. So suddenly what was that like like for you? As you mentioned, you're a really proud guy and I can tell already, already you're so humble, you just take to anything. But did it take some adjustment? Like, oh Christ, I've actually got to get that washed and like as good as the guys I think, used I, to I do I still it. do it now though. I'll still help them wash cars. I'm up there regularly doing things. You know, I like to get stuck into it. I think having that experience in the motor trade I've seen every department. So, and I also know how every department almost works. So I could do the admin, I can do the invoicing, I can, you know, wash the cars, I can photograph them, I can stick them on auto trade. Like every single aspect of the job that's needed to done, I, I know every department. So that, that was that was the good thing, I suppose, is that I could hold it on my own, although I was extremely busy, you know, it had to be done. So what would you say to uh, maybe some young lads, 23, 24, that... I've got experience in selling, but not necessarily. I've got a friend like this is kind of what I'm reeling off. Not necessarily working in the motor trade, but I've been around it quite a lot and friends with nice cars. Do you think a lot of people go into this um, underestimating the amount of experience and network required if they do try and start on their own? Like how, As a percentage, what importance was the network that you had in starting your own? That was massive. Yeah, massive. I think it must be very difficult to just start from scratch. You mentioned you've got you have the skills. Yes, but then there's also the people network and the sales behind. Exactly, hundred percent. I would not be where I am today without social media. That's the hundred percent fact. And you, oh, really, because yeah. obviously back in the Porsche days, you mentioned you still got customers from there. Maybe in the early Redlands, it wasn't yeah. as no important. But now, do you do most of your business through socials? Yeah, like absolutely. Yeah, and... I think so. I mean, we, we, you know, I get a lot of direct messages with customers for cars and looking to sell cars and things. So, and it's nice because you broke down those barriers of trust element because people have been following you, like you follow me for a while, which is great. You, you kind of feel like you know each other. 
And and I think that really helps the trust side of things. So instantly people think, oh, I know Dean, like, like we're best mates, it's great. Yeah, 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 no, and, and then you can come in and relax, you know, you don't have to worry about anything. You know, we'll genuinely look after you and do our very best to help you. And uh, so that, that's been a very pivotal point in my career of knowing I've got that aspect of the business to help. So you, you referred to it earlier as you started in the chicken shed when you yeah. were doing DMV, a really cold <laughs> barn, somewhere out on a car storage yeah. facility uh, and barn. Yeah. Um, but we're sat outside one of the coolest showroom locations I've ever seen with huge glass windows overlooking a flipping <laughs> runway, which has just got to be the most tempting thing in the world ever, constantly. How the yeah. hell did this come about? How are we here, Dave? Well, I think it got to a point again where we'd actually grown and grown and we, we didn't really have enough storage where we were uh, and we needed to really moved to somewhere that had more facilities, really. So it was, it was much needed. So I think I love the idea of being maybe near a racetrack or something like that, you know, even though there was one locally up here, actually a place called Tockwith, which has like a little racetrack. And I thought, I wonder if like a cool hangar would look nice, you know, even if I had a little cabin inside and your cars are outside in a hangar, that'd look quite cool. And uh, Trudy, obviously, who's, who works with us, um, was looking around at various different places and we found industrial units, you know, uh, you, you can probably find an old place, but it just didn't tick all the boxes really. It wasn't exciting. And um, we came, I actually come down here to do a photo shoot with a Lamborghini Huracan because they used to have, it's an RAF base, ex-RAF, and they had the old barracks and it was all overgrown. It looked like a scene from Walking Dead, you know, all the, all the greenery growing up the side of the building. I thought, that's cool. So uh, I remembered this place, of course, and Trudy said, there is some hangarage here. So when we inquired, because of COVID, where we are now, that was going to be 150 staff in their offices. Um... And that, but because everyone started working from home. So of course that space became available. And when I walked in, I just saw windows because I haven't seen windows for ages because I was inside this shed effectively. And I just thought I could see the vision of it. And I looked out and I could see the runway and I was like, this is just unbelievable. But I had to keep myself quiet, obviously. I didn't want to be too excited. And, did, did, uh, was that fairly easy to get through? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we looked at, I needed to have an office in there and I needed to like machine polish the floors and things because it was just quite raw. No one's ever been in there yet, you see. So it was very new. And, uh, and obviously I had like a little pitch area outside, which I thought was ideal. We needed space for a, a valeting. So of course we've got another unit on site here as well for the valeting. Um, and it all just worked. And we've got the security of the airfield. So, you know, you've, you've got to get through a barrier to get in. As you, and again, as you know, it's, it's like those cars just moved sometimes in the right direction to be able to do so. But if you hadn't have actually inquired, because I, I get this with people a lot, I think people always search for something that's for sale, but the best things are often not for sale or advertised. Absolutely. And uh, you, you showed us when we got here, the other half of the building that you're in, as if you... How perfect could it be that you have customers landing in helicopters or potential customers landing in helicopters and while they're waiting around to get transported <laughs> to somewhere else, yeah. opposite a supercar showroom? Exactly, yeah. So oh. the, the walking element seems to be very affluent customers, really. Uh, and have you had which customers walking? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you yeah. remember any memorable sales from that Yeah, happening? I had a, a lovely lady down south who came in. She went up to pick up a new helicopter in Edinburgh and she flew down here, stopped for fuel and walked in and saw the showroom, popped in to see us with her colleagues. I thought she seemed quite a powerful lady, actually, and she transpired she was a big CEO of a huge company. And um, she saw Ferrari Portofino that we had in the window, and it was obviously in the middle of summer. And she said, I've always promised myself a Ferrari, she said. And uh, I think this was up at about 170000 or something. And she said, um, what will you knock off that? And I told her the wing mirror. And she just like done this pan look and I'm just trying to break the eyes because she was quite a stern lady. And we just had a bit of a laugh with her then at the end of it all. And uh, we actually ended up doing a deal there and then within five minutes. Hand was out, shook, I'll have that. I said, I can transport it down to you. And uh, and, and the deal was done and I, I still keep in touch with her now and it's brilliant. Does yeah. that does that sometimes baffle you when you reflect on that, that, that stuff like that can happen and that this location has, has occurred and it's just those cards have played out. Yeah, I out. guess. I mean, here at Leeds East Airport, it's a fabulous facility. The people are great who work here. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just nice to be able to have 
Uh, all the pilots that are coming in, of course, who hang other planes here with them. And it's, it's growing and growing and growing. You know, they're building a new site here just for Netflix. There's filming going on and stuff. It's a really exciting place. Which brings me on perfectly to filming, growing up growing up in performing arts. I can see how things link together sometimes. Uh, a fabulous supercar showroom with amazing views. How the hell did you end up with your own TV show, Dee? <laughs> It was a bit bizarre, really, I suppose. I mean, I had a few companies ring up and said, uh, would we be interested? There were a company down south, for example, who phoned up about it. Uh, would we be interested in doing a TV show? So not one of them southerners, no. You're thinking, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're thinking to yourself, you know, is this real? And I'm, I'm looking at the company, I'm going, well, yeah, they're a broadcasting company and... I didn't really know much about it, but actually what we were doing behind the scenes, we had people like obviously Dr. Alex and stuff up here and, and James. And we thought, let's do a, let's do a YouTube thing because we've got this runway. What a great place to come to have a chat with maybe some of the customers, sit down, have a little chat with them, take them out for a test drive on the runway and, um, and build our own sort of channel, which was what we were potentially going to do. So we'd filmed a really cool clip and, uh, an onsite here unbeknown to me is air TV who, uh, who do things like bangers and cash and helicopter ER and stuff, and they, they film here. So Matt, the director there, came over to see us actually and said, would I be interested in pitching an idea to Discovery? Um, and he needed something to show them. Well, I had the clip already. So when I went over there and put him on his TV, it was like, wow, this is a Ventador flying down the runway. It just looked incredible and exciting. And, um, and obviously used some of the uh, footage of that and built his own sizzle reel, I think they call it. And instantly they went, yes, we want it. So, uh, and that was it. What was that like going <laughs> home and telling the wife and the kids and saying, I've got a TV show coming out? How, what was the reaction from your friends and family well, to I something think they like were, that? They were very supportive, obviously, of it. And, and some of them were saying, well, we knew it was coming at some point, I guess. So I think some people saw that, which was quite nice. Is that because it's always the next step with you? Like, what's coming next? What What, what is so. the next step? I don't step? know. I mean, honestly, uh, I just take it a day, a day at a time, really. What, what comes, it's just been... Why do I think that is a, yeah. that is a northern thing? I don't know. What, honestly, I've re so from this, yeah. I've spoke to, I had Nigel. Big, yeah. big Nigel Tumor. And he was exactly the same. And was he, it? he said, I don't know. I'll just roll with it. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems yeah. like cup of tea and <laughs> move the cards well, in the I right direction. Well, I suppose you don't know what's going to happen, do you? You don't know what's going to happen. If an opportunity comes, you seize it, don't you? You know, it's uh, it's so one of them. You, you, we've spoke about the, the the peak moments. Obviously, it's un unbelievably excitable and happy and it's incredible. Have your own TV show filmed yeah. in your own dealership next to a runway after a journey and a career path like that. And you must be massively proud of yourself. And it is, it is really incredible. Yeah. But what I do like to get across to, to listeners and people watching is sometimes everything always seems too simple, too easy. Uh, yeah. And therefore when people come up against challenges, when they're on their own, that their own past, that they, they think that something's then different for them versus things that they see out in the social like, yeah. What What would you say has been one of the hardest things to, <clears throat> to overcome along your journey in the last few years? Um, so I will, I will tell you this. I haven't said it to anybody, I suppose, before, but it's, um, so when I set up on my own in October of 19, I was actually quite ill. I was pretty poorly actually. And, uh, I don't put things on, on Instagram. I never do. I'm not that sort of person to go put a cannula in your arm with blood running down and look, look at poor me and want all the attention because that's just not, not who I am. I think, um, so I had a problem with my heart. Uh, at the time, so I had a, um, an irregular heart, which which during COVID was was quite hard. So it was tough for me because I had to run my own business, try put a smile on my face while actually suffering. I was actually very poorly with it. So I had and um, working really hard outside washing and working cars really in hard, the cold. Yeah. So I mean, my friends and family knew about it. My close friends and family. Uh, and they gave me an enormous amount of support. But due to the pandemic, I couldn't get into hospital to have the procedures done that I needed to have done. Um, and over over a course of probably two years, I did actually go into hospital um, and have uh, some procedures to sort of stop and restart your heart. And then I had a more invasive procedure done where I was in hospital in for quite a while. So it's really, it was a very, very tough time for me personally. And it did affect everything. But I try, I couldn't, I have a family to support, so I couldn't literally uh, let my guard down. I had to always do my very best. So I saved photographs out on the airfield of me in the showroom. And whilst I was in hospital, everyone would have thought I'm in the showroom selling cars when actually I was actually in bed with drips in my arms and being very ill. So that that was really tough. 
So there you go, exclusively in there, Ben. So I've never put that out there, but it was very scary. And and who is your support network for that? Your family, or was you trying not to let on that that was going on? Was you keeping everything to yourself? Yeah, obviously my family was obviously my biggest support, obviously with that and uh, my close friends as well. Um, so it was uh, just to get the support from them. They knew about it because effectively I was running at like 35%. Um, just trying to because obviously my, my body was tired it's not ideal when you started a business no 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 exactly yeah so I mean there was times when I used to walk through the showroom and I had to literally stop two paces in because I thought I was going to collapse and one stage I did in when I was at York and I had to go rushed into a York hospital so uh, and I had to do all that but <laughs> even while I'm in hospital I'm answering DMs as if I'm at work you know I'm, I'm uploading a post on it could be me at Mark Suspenser doing my usual cheesy stuff I'll pick up your car in a couple day. of hours yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, so, and, and because I was on my own, I didn't have anybody else. So it's like, I couldn't let a customer down and people, my family are going, are you off, are you, are you off your tits? It's like, Jesus Christ, you know, you, you can't do all this. You know, people are saying, Dean, you can't do that. And I thought, I can't let my customers down. I've got to do it. You know, so I still managed to do what I could. So, uh, but after, after, a, you imagine being two years quite poorly. It was only after my second procedure that it kind of fixed and healed itself and touched what I feel a lot better so you're now. you're okay? You're... I'm okay now. So I'm okay now, yeah. And it was uh, it was very tough, but I feel amazing now, completely different. So that COVID period shaped... Uh, yeah. I don't think there's one person that I speak to um, sat on opposite me here that that, that period hasn't changed something massively or profoundly yeah. in mm-hmm. their life. And, and it's either through... Uh, a change in a career decision or just something totally unexpected happening, yeah. not necessarily even caused by COVID, but the scenario to fix that issue being so much more challenging because of what was going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's amazing what you've overcome mm. with that. Well done. Yeah. Um, and what's to come, Dean? What, what's to come? Because <laughs> well, you may be the, you may be the chap that sits there very humbly off opposite yeah. going, Oh, I go with the throw, but I think, I think behind those eyes, there is, there is mm. plans and there is uh, excitement. So where, where do you see yourself going? Cause you've already got a showroom full to the brim with supercars. We do. I mean, it, and it's a tough market at the minute, right? It is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we do pride ourselves on having really nice, stock examples of cars it's not as you've seen it's not the usual cars is it it's, no gen- they've all got genuinely and I, I do mean this to all, all the viewers yeah. and listeners um we're, we'll take some photos and you'll be able to see them mm. on our, our socials of some of the bits of stock that you've got in there but mm. it's not just like a crayon gt3 it's a satin crayon gt3 <laughs> with like the best spec ever and yeah. i don't think you'd ever see a porsche there without ceramics on it put yeah, it that yeah. way like yeah. the specs are in, are insane and that's obviously from your network but yeah do you see yourself remaining here? And if you need more storage, taking that offsite, you mentioned there's a little something going on down the other end of the road. Can you that's talk right. about that at all? Yeah, so I mean, that's really new. We only just set that up last month, actually. So um, yeah, it's like a sister company to DMB. So sometimes we get some really lovely part exchanges coming in and some of them might just be too many miles for me, that's all, but they've been meticulously looked after. And I just think it's a shame to let them go out to the trade and somebody else to kind of maybe profit from that. So uh, what I've done is my uh, old friend from years and years ago, Adam, who who, uh, who I used to work with at Volkswagen back in the days, we decided to set up together and have Yorkshire Performance. So Yorkshire Performance being like hot hatches, really cool, like Clio V6s, uh, a B22 Subaru, really rare cars that uh, is a little bit different. So we've got that business It's a bit now. like the stock in the showroom that's different and specs. You're, you're looking for those different part exchanges as yeah, well. Yeah, and older, low mileage, really low mileage, one owner from new. You know, really nice stuff like that. So, uh, and it's doing really, really well. So, so I'm there's the that. next step again. So, so there's God, another God step. knows where we're going to be in <laughs> 10 years. But to, to, yeah. to start rounding off, coming to a conclusion, how has running a business changed your life versus working uh, for a boss in the motor industry? That's an interesting question, actually. I think I think it's nice to be your own boss. I think it's nice to uh, have that flexibility. I think uh, I know people always aspire to to earning lots of money and having a mansion and eight million cars and stuff like that. You know, for me, it's not like that really. I think wealth, more importantly than anything in the world, is contentment. And I think having having your health, which obviously I've learned, you know, whilst I was sat in hospital that time contemplating it, don't matter, does it, how much money you've got, as long as you've got your health. So if you're content with what you've got, so we've I've probably got 70 cars now, actually, in stock in total, and it's a nice enough number to be full. And we have a lovely time with our customers. We give them a very exceptional experience, test driving cars and, and, and coming to this location. And I think as long as my staff's happy, 
because that's vitally important to me. Um, and we, we can just obviously move forward uh, being content as we are, then, then that's great. And you did mention, I don't know if you'll give the guys a little excuse for this, there is a very special vehicle sat in that showroom with a sticker on it that says Dean's on the back window. <laughs> Can you share it all with the gang? Well, that's a, yeah, I mean, that's a, um, again, that's quite a, a proud moment when you think, actually, I've been able to buy a, a car. So I have a, I have a Ferrari Scuderia. So, uh, which Ferrari is, 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 is Scuderia. just, they're amazing, amazing cars. I think, you know, Schumacher it helped build that, that sort of car and put his influence on it. And it's a proper race car. And you took it to the last you know. supercar driver secret, I mate. did, actually, yeah. Yeah, so I took it down there. So, uh it's exciting to have your own sort of supercar, if you like. I, I, yeah, I think I've got to ask that question before before we round round up because if you've got seventy cars in the show, and I and I definitely think that um, people in the supercar space that are around them everywhere do become numb to supercars, and yes. it's only when you see the excitement on the face of a kid or someone that hasn't seen them yeah. that it does actually ground you down to earth a little bit yeah. more. What is it like for you separating the fact that that is your car versus yeah. the 70 cars in the showroom? Does it feel totally different when you're behind the wheel? Uh, I don't know really. I mean, I've always, with the cars, I do drive them quite sort of sedately really. I don't really, it's like, because that's an older car now and it's low mileage and it's a fabulous car, I don't really drive it like I should. And in fact, Ferrari actually told me, they said, you need to cane it run it in, give it a blast, you know, and, and I did take it out actually recently and give it a blast. <laughs> and you know <laughs> what? I was like a big kid because the sound and, and the excitement. Now, the thing for me is that that spark's never gone, you know, for me. So coming to work every day is just amazing. When you can do something that you love and you enjoy this much every day, it's just obviously not work, is it? It's so would 23-year-old Dean, working in your first job in the dealership with a two-year-old, have believed you'll be sat where you are today with a TV show, your own supercar dealership and a Ferrari 430 yeah, Scuderia. No, not in a million years. So you no. think it's possible for the lads out there to be able to do 100%. something? 100%. I think you just got to take that risk sometimes, you know, and just go for it. I think that's the key. Dean, it's been a pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you for coming on my no, podcast, pleasure. Road to Success. I've really enjoyed it and I wish you the best of luck. Not that I think you're going to need it for the future. <laughs> and again, if you want to book Dean for a performance at your wedding, please click the link in the description and I'll make 10%. <laughs> Catch you later, Dean. Thanks, Ben. Cheers, Bye. mate. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.